Welcome to Strange Bedfellows Podcast, where no question is too dark, no topic too taboo. Join us to explore sexuality, self-help, and politics with our expert guests and friends. We believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation. I am a parent, I am a certified holistic sex educator, I am a longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season two. I'm a 22-year-old gay man and activist who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight. Because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows. So John, I wanted to start this episode reading a what started as a Facebook rant when I was feeling manic <laughs> and and spun into a really broad conversation and one of the biggest ones I've ever had on social media or one of the biggest ones I ever witnessed. Um, so I'll just I'll read the rant and then I thought we could go into reading some feedback we got from people who either agreed or disagreed with me. Sure. Pet peeve, when straight women refer to their best friend or close friend as their girlfriend or wife. Some of us have never held hands with our girlfriends in public, and we will never marry our wives because we'd be beat up or fired or harassed or killed. Uh, Do you lick each other's genitals at home or do you hold hands in public? No, otherwise shut the fuck up with that attention-grabbing nonsense. Signed, an invisible queer femme. Unless... You're asexual or not into oral with your partner, but that's not what I'm referring to. Um, have you ever heard women do this? Be like, oh, me and my girlfriends are going. It's like, your girlfriends? Oh, you mean your friends that are girls? Yeah. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, the girlfriends one I don't mind as much as I like did for the wife one for a while. Now I care like a little less. I just find it annoying, but I used to be like super pissed off when people would would like call their friend their wife and when they were both straight like really really straight and Mm -hmm. i was just like oh this is annoying like (laughs) so i had one person respond that said policing others language isn't going to minimize the pain you have felt and i was like whoa let's go (laughs) into that let's go into that um so i also heard here's from a lesbian woman she says i relate to this so much It's always made me crazy when women who identify as straight call their best friend a wife. There is so much to that name and the ability to come out in public and not be shamed for loving who you love, and yet they just throw it around. When I have confronted my friends about it, they get really offended and it has caused a rift. The only person I've ever called my wife or wifey is the woman I am married or the one I'm about to marry. Um... I had a question from a black woman, a straight black woman. She says, my use of girlfriend for platonic female relationships is rooted in black femme culture. Maybe this isn't related because black women also use girlfriend to refer to women with whom they are not actually close for various reasons. And I said, I am specifically talking to white women because I don't tell black women what to do. 
Also, I live in Portland where the black population is like 6%. And here's the kicker. I heard from a bunch of queer and gay women who were like, oh, if you ask, oh, are you gay? Many of them get offended that you would ask them that they're gay. Meanwhile, they're saying girlfriends and wife. (sighs) So I don't expect everybody to agree with me. Um, I also heard some feedback from one person who said, the good thing about having straight women misuse the word is if I have ever referred to my girlfriend out in public and someone suddenly like acted weird or started to give me shit and discriminate against me for actually being queer, um, I was able to say, oh, no, I just met my female friend. So. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think you care less because you're a guy. Yeah, Honestly. that could be. Because I guess, like, guys don't call each other, like, you know, husbands or <laughs> shit like that. Yeah, I'm going to go hang out with my boyfriends. Oh, your boyfriends? Yeah. You mean your friends that are also guys? Yeah, nobody says that. It's a double standard. Yeah. A gay woman says, please don't refer to your close female friends as girlfriends, straight women. It kills our social cue that someone can be gay and safe to come out. Additionally, it fires up the stereotype that girls can be girl pals that show intimacy that is romantic, sexual, emotional, and yet be straight. Some people feel like it's erasure. Am I allowed to call her my soulmate even if we don't have sex? Um, Am I allowed her? You can call her your soulmate. Yeah, that's not the same as girlfriend or wife. I could call my dog my soulmate. I'm not fucking my dog. (laughs) You know? My friends do this and it pisses me off so much, says a number, another woman. <laughs> this guy says, even as a straight dude, I don't get this, honestly. Never hated on it, but I don't call my female friends girlfriends just because I wouldn't want to stick them with that connotation if they aren't my girlfriend, lol. Says, so am I offensive to fellow queers when I refer to my straight friends as girlfriends or work wife? Or is it just straight women? I'm confused. I don't know. Use your judgment. I mean, okay. if you've never considered that this could make queer or gay women feel bad or uncomfortable, you know, then maybe use it less or consider when you use the term at all. Like, why not just say my friends? I'm going out with my friends. My friend. Why is it relevant? She's a girl. Also applicable, the terms girl crush and WCW. Oh, is that like Woman Crush Wednesday? Mm hmm. I always thought it was weird when dudes did like woman crush Wednesdays. Um, there's a couple people in in the atheist community who are like dudes with large accounts. And I actually think that most of them are pretty nice people, but I find it really weird when they do like they shout out like woman crush Wednesday and then they'll like do a couple posts about a couple different women who also have Instagram who are seeing them post this. <laughs> And mm-hmm. usually because they're like overall decent people, the women are like, oh, ha, thanks. But I'm just like, that's that feels weird. I actually don't repost those. I've had a couple of guys say woman crush Wednesday, stripper writer. And I'm like, nah, you're nah, nah. Yeah. If you it like my content, you weird. like my content. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's I think that that's sometimes a related. It's like, is this sexual or is it not sexual? Like, I'm not mad about it, but um someone says i i just question like what they're getting from that right like posting about right. it like it's one thing to like be you know attracted to someone or something like that but 
it's another to like just post a picture and then that other person sees it and then they have to make a decision whether or not to interact with it or like all sorts of stuff and that just seems annoying on a broad level that almost seems mm-hmm. like a more like an accepted version of like i don't know polite mm-hmm. cat calling like on the internet mm-hmm. and it's not Cats. as bothersome because it's digital <laughs> like a gay boy says people who do this then also say no homo are the worst yeah. uh someone says there is an interesting historical context for this in the white western world in the victorian era romantic loving relationships were encouraged between young women calling each other wife or similar as practice for when they're married of course all those deeply intimate relationships were expected to be abandoned when the girl married I can't verify that, but that's a really interesting idea. Someone please look into that. Anyway, so it's totally fine if people want to respectfully disagree with this, but I feel like if you are a straight woman talking about a person that you don't have any sexual romantic feelings about, who is also a woman, why just say your friend? Um, it makes it makes uh it makes people like me who are like, oh, are you queer too? Oh, you're not. You're just straight. Oh, okay. Um, makes me feel weird. Yeah, it'd certainly be funny if uh, if guys said that. I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be like, huh, weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this person says, "I've had so many straight white women call each other girlfriends or wifey, and then be incredibly homophobic when I'm openly queer." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Often. You can't degrade me and say that I'm going to assault you simply because I'm queer. And then you go around calling your other cishet female friends your girlfriend. Homophobia and this girlfriend wifey bullshit tend to go hand in hand with the whole, oh, you're gay, so you must be attracted to me. Ew, mess. This person says, I'm totally guilty of calling my friends girlfriends. Thanks for speaking up about this. I will check myself. Okay, last one. This lady says, man, thank you. I'm a public school teacher and the prevalence of straight women talking about their work wives is so silencing and so exhausting. Um, I think that's what it comes down to. If you live in a place, if you especially live in a place where like straight is so the norm that there's no room for gayness, but you're using terms like girlfriend openly, whereas a person who actually might have a girlfriend, if they're not allowed to exist in that community comfortably, if they're not able to, it just like probably really, really hurts them. (laughs) So just something to consider. We can uh, move along and talk about something else related to women I suppose uh I went to a presentation by oh my god I went to a conference I listened to a woman doctor speak about hormones she deals with a lot of patients who deal who suffer from low libido um so I learned a little bit about hormones recently and I thought this was really interesting um In an upcoming episode, I want to do more research in what's called irritable male syndrome. So IMS instead of PMS, premenstrual syndrome. The idea is that because so we all our hormones shift all the time. It's like your testosterone is higher in the morning than it is in the evening, typically, assuming you're diurnal, you sleep at night. Um, But usually for for like adult males. Your yeah. testosterone is higher in the morning than at the end of the day. I didn't know that. I assumed we just had like a weird stable like thing, but it'd be interesting to know the cycles like compared to how women's yeah. cycles are. 
So I don't know how much this has been studied. I poked around on the web a little bit and it doesn't look like very much, but hormonal cycles for males, I mean, females have them. Why wouldn't males have them? We all have hormones and everything cycles. So the yeah. idea is if, if you're living with a partner and what if, you know, I joke that B is on his period at the same time I am because we live together again and we were both experiencing like moodiness around the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, if female bodies can sync up hormonally, why couldn't female male ones? I don't know. If anyone has any feedback about that, send it to us. I'm interested, but we'll dive into that more. What I did learn is a few little tidbits that I thought would be interesting to the show. Um, so during ovulation, so that's when females are most fertile. The egg has been released. Um, it's ready to be fertilized with semen. So during ovulation, testosterone, when the egg is released, testosterone peaks around that time. What biological purpose do you think this could serve? What does testosterone make you do? Um, Just like hair do you have any guesses? And hmm? irritability? Uh, testosterone, it makes people feel more confident. It makes them more likely to act, to be assertive or aggressive. So if women are more likely to be assertive or reactive, oh, also feelings of jealousy and, um, feeling territorial around a person's mate, um, pe peaks around ovulation. A lot of women report that. So I think biologically that purpose serves. I am more likely to um, get pregnant because I'm more likely to seek out sex, be receptive to sex. Um, I'm more likely to have feelings of like attachment or ownership to my partner. Yeah. If ovulation like increases these drives. Um, so for women on birth control where they don't experience ovulation, uh, their testosterone is never peaking. So could that be why a lot of women on hormonal birth control that don't experience ovulation also suffer from low libido? They're not experiencing the hormone cycle that peaks their interest. Um, estrogen also peaks around this time. Um, I found out the more you stimulate estrogen and testosterone production, the more they continually replenish so it's kind of like the more sex you have the more sex you want to have Have you ever noticed when you feel sexually like active and good it kind of is like a feedback loop whereas if yeah. you don't have sex for a while you're kind of like eh, maybe i'm good yeah yeah um so would this change how someone might want to choose or use their their birth control their hormonal birth control if they're like wow i have low libido I don't know. Check your birth control. This is one reason why I never wanted to go on birth control that didn't allow me to have a period. Um, I just feel like inherently there's probably a reason why I'm supposed to release that egg. I don't know if it works for you. It works for you. The, the pill you can you have to take every day, right? I think. And then you can take the uh, the pill instead of the placebos that they give you so that you don't have it at all. How does that work? So so there's different, there's birth control that is progestin only, and there's birth control that's estrogen and progestin only. Um, different ones can cause different side effects. Uh, when you have the oral contraceptive, like a month's supply of birth control, what you really have is three weeks of the hormone 
that you're taking and then one week of a sugar pill, which is basically just if you need to be in a habit of taking a pill every day, you can, but you don't have to. It just helps people keep track. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're on that week when you're bleeding, if you're bleeding, you don't need to take one. If you are on like a shot or an implant that is continually releasing hormones, you might not get a period. People can have wild um, side effects, like very sudden weight gain, moodiness, feelings of suicidality. Um, Yeah, hormones are wild. I really, really, really don't like fucking with my hormones because I feel like my hormones are pretty tenuous already. (laughs) I experience a lot of mood swings already. Um, Another little tidbit that I thought was interesting, nursing parents release a hormone breastfeeding breastfeeding releases a hormone called prolactin prolactin prevents arousal what biological purpose could that serve preventing arousal while you're feeding a baby what do you think um i don't know i I honestly don't know for that one because i just can't think of like Mm mm-hmm So if you have two things going on, if you have a baby that needs to eat or you're feeling horny, which one should you probably take care of to continue? Oh, the baby. Oh, okay. So the people who fed the baby (laughs) instead of fucking ended up reproducing more often. Weird. Yeah. Hadn't thought of that. Right. Um, So for nursing parents who experienced low libido, um, a lot of times is, are you still breastfeeding? A question. Uh, so it's, it's, it has to do a lot with expectations around people's bodies, around pregnancy and birth. And we just don't understand so much of it. We really don't understand like how much time a birthing parent might need to feel like hormonally replenished, you know, to yeah. have sex. So it's like, yeah, if a partner or or a person is like, oh, we haven't had, I haven't wanted to since we had the baby. It's like, well, have, have you been nursing the whole time? Are you getting sleep? Are you on medication? Do you have any genital discomfort? You know, like how was your birth? Yeah. Yeah. So just some things to think about. Um, also, if you are doing poly stuff and you still are navigating your jealousy, um, like myself, you know, like I'm still learning. I'm not an expert. Uh I have a lot of interest, but relatively, I'm, I'm still, I think, a beginner in navigating non-monogamy stuff. So I made a joke to be, I said, you know, knowing that I am more likely hormonally to experience feelings of competitiveness or jealousy around the time I'm ovulating, let's plan your, let's plan your dates on my period. <laughs> <laughs> or at least your first dates until I know that I'm like, I like her and I'm comfortable and she's cool. Um, anyway. <laughs> So That's I awesome. thought that was cool. Right. Science. Yeah. Um, both of all of these topics like centered mostly around women. So I do apologize, John. Thank you for being here for it. We do have a lot of women and assigned female at birth listeners. So yeah. vagina stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good to learn because most men like have a vague concept, but haven't really Googled or asked in-depth questions. So, So there's a bill in Pennsylvania as we record this in about early November 2019. Hopefully this bill dies because it's ridiculous. When I say dies, no pun intended, but the bill would require the remains of miscarriages or abortions occurring in healthcare facilities, anything past the point of, quote, fertilization, to be buried or cremated. I've had two miscarriages. Do you know 
what a miscarriage looks like when it's in the first trimester? It looks like a heavy period. What are you going to bury? Yeah, that just seems like religion intruding. Yeah. yeah. Sure does. Um, Erica Moen, our our guest earlier in this season, fuck yeah, ericamoen.com, I believe, uh, they have a new comic relating to pregnancy and miscarriage. And actually, one of the things brought up in that comic is one of the reasons people don't often share that they are pregnant until they're out of the first trimester is because up to 20% of pregnancies end in miscarriage in the first three months, the first trimester. Damn. So a lot of them don't stick. Yeah. Um, so it's really, really frustrating that the people who write these laws know little, so very little, so fucking little. Uh, I heard from a woman who says, I work in an abortion clinic uh, and we work for a, we work with a cremation company for our patients who request those services, but the company won't do cremation for fetuses under 14 weeks, 4, 8, 12, so that's three and a half months, because there isn't enough tissue to successfully cremate. I've seen many products of conception, and it's laughable to think that a funeral should be mandated for what looks like a blood clot or piece of endometrium, skin, tissue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always wild. treading that weird line between, like, when when do we define, like, the beginning of a human? For me, that would probably be, like, when a brain properly develops, and it's... And there's also arguments for, like, you know, feeling pain, not feeling pain, and then um, whether or not whether feeling pain even matters or sentience matters if it's still dependent on another person. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, there's all these different interesting factors. Um, right, and who, <laughs> people who are anti-abortion, do they yeah. eat meat? Like, if you're concerned about a life form feeling pain, do you eat meat? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, like, a fully functioning brain, well, what does that mean? You know, when we think of yeah. people born with, like, severe, you know, non-functioning brains, and we've seen those people who will have caregivers their entire lives. So, like, are they not a real human, you know? Yeah, um, yeah the conception arguments really... <laughs> drives me nuts i would be you know i was only i was less than a than a trimester along when i had my first miscarriage and again the reason that i think it i had that miscarriage after i was sexually assaulted at work and i feel like the stress brought that on i could be wrong i don't know but i still felt very 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 sad and guilty and horrified and like at a loss for this tiny little you know, like I said, it was smaller than a pea. Like I looked through my blood that I could because there was a lot of it for a couple of days. But I was interested. I wanted to see if I could find anything. And there was like a pea, pea size, you know, it could have been. I rolled it around in my fingers, honestly. I was like, was this going to be a child? It was weird. You know, yeah. everything exists on a spectrum. But yeah. if, you know, if I had carried further to term and then found out that like maybe the baby wasn't going to be viable the fetus or the embryo wasn't going to be viable it would never be a baby that would be an easier decision so it's like all circumstantial and choice is a big factor yeah that's true um and the availability to take care of baby is really i think should be the common denominator like can i properly take care of this life if the needle on my scale points more to no that would be a hard decision but it's ultimately you know am i going to raise something to struggle 
or am I going to wait until I'm more adequately prepared? So my mom, when I had my miscarriages anyway, she's like, you know, that's nature's way of just your body knew that those weren't strong enough, viable pregnancies. I was like, all right, that makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you got to tell yourself. But miscarriage is very common. So that's that's the point. We definitely shouldn't be re- requiring burials and yeah. not Remember when Mike Pence was attending every aborted baby burial? Could he? Could he? Would he? Should he? Could he please just do that for the rest of his life and yeah, never hear He from did again? that in his state and he attended every burial. It was weird. Yeah. That is weird. That seems like a really easy way to just like walk around and not have to really do a whole lot. <laughs> did he did he like get feedback from each of the of the people who had had the abortion and did he ask like why? <laughs> I, I did don't he know. Yeah, no. I just find it so dumb cuz you have to pay for it yourself. It's not like oh you have to like deposit the remains and the, the state perform some sort of weird ritual. It's like no, mm-hmm. you have to pay to go engage in our weird ritual. Like <laughs> Yeah. Wait, who was paying? Um, like people who had abortions had to oh, pay the patient to hold. Yeah. yeah, the patients had to pay, um, in order to host the uh, funeral, and because that shit costs Ugh. money and it ain't free, and um, it was just so ridiculous because people had to pay like hundreds, if not like a thousand dollars, and um, and no one was attending this shit, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the friends that the baby never had. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, are we inviting the friends of the guy who raped me and got me pregnant or no? Is that an awkward question? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <sighs> Anywho, um, you can find out who your state legislators are by going to the internet and typing, how do I find my legislators plus your state? And there's a website and you can write to them. <laughs> and you mm-hmm. can also find out who sponsors these bills. Uh, let's Yeah. We'll just remind everyone of that before we take a break. Rax is the first native app designed by and for sex workers. With unique features like a social feed, club reviews, income tracking, and event calendars, use it to grow your business at the touch of a button. For more information on Rax and more events, in-depth courses, and free content for adult entertainers, visit www.raxtoriches.com. R-A-C-K-S to riches.com. And just for strange bedfellows listeners, use discount code SBP at checkout for 10% off any educational products. Attention service and sex industry workers. Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing holistic options that work with your schedule. Our Sin Yin classes are meant to help you wind down, reset, and improve overall health. Need a little motivation? The first Sin Yin class is free to new members, and we offer discounts on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the app to check out all of our industry-friendly class times. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows, your favorite politics, sex, and self-help podcast. Let's learn about a bad bitch in history. Julia Boulet was born in 1832 in London, and she moved to America as a young child, first to New Orleans and then to San Francisco around 1852 or 1853. She moved to Virginia City around 1863 when the mining boom had a population of about 10,000 people. 
So the Comstock Lode is the largest, single largest silver lode ever discovered in North America. So there were tons of men who wandered to get rich quick. And there were many women who headed that direction because they knew that they could sell sex to these men in these areas where the miners were far away from women and outnumbered them greatly. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that Julia Boulette was a bit of a philanthropist. She was not a madam. She was a sex worker. She operated out of her own rented room. Uh, she became a darling of the firefighters in that area um, because she was so charitable. Julia was a fan of firefighters, apparently, because when she lived in San Francisco, there were fires and earthquakes, and she was enamored with the fire department, um, saw them as heroes. Uh, so at Virginia City, the prostitutes, the sex workers, of course, in history, it's always referred to as the prostitutes. And, you know, I say that word once in a while. But the women, they called them balls and they threw parties and they were fundraisers to help widows and orphans. Julia Boulette actually did what a lot of other rich women never did. She would put hands on people to help their suffering from smallpox or diphtheria. And while the wealthy women would donate money, which is cool, they wouldn't actually touch the people, but Julia would. In July of 1861, the Virginia City firemen elected her... <laughs> the queen of the Independence Day Parade, and she rode engine company number one's fire truck through the town. Uh, she wore a fireman's hat, and she had a brass fire trumpet filled with fresh roses. It says she often personally lent a hand at working the water pump. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> hand job jokes aplenty. Um, Julia, she was 34, so about a year older than me, when she was murdered uh, January 10th in 1867. Uh, coroners say it was by blunt force trauma and strangulation. I actually did read the coroner's report. She was found on her bed. Uh, there were false reports that she was murdered for jewels and wealth and riches and money, but the thing is she didn't have any. Uh, she was pretty poor at the time of her death, and when they found a Frenchman, Jean Million, how do you say that last name in French? Um, million? I don't know. <laughs> and it was probably Jean. Jean Million. Uh, so, there you go. So when he tried to sell a few of her possessions about nine or so months after her murder, including a pattern for a dress that had been found in her house, he was found guilty and sentenced to death. Uh, she was liked in the community, so it was a quick trial. And he went to the gallows April 24th, 1868. It was Virginia City's first public execution. And he was buried feet away from her. <laughs> Damn. Yes. Her murderer was buried just a few feet away from Julia Boulette at the Flowery Hill Cemetery. Um, there is a small, sad museum to her in Virginia City. Uh it's in the back of a restaurant. You can look that up. But Julia C. Boulette deserves to be remembered in better ways, I do believe. Um, there is a building on B Street in Virginia City called the Julia C. Boulette Building. And what a bad bitch in history. It's too bad she could not have been around longer. Bim. I had never heard of her Sounds before. Like a yeah. Badass. And a philanthropist. Yeah. So a badass philanthropist. Yeah. We like those. <laughs> So we got some listener questions. Hey, 
first one was about Pornhub. So, what's an ethical way of watching porn? My partner and I are watchers of Pornhub Free. We just started talking about how we're worried our free streaming doesn't benefit the men and women in the free videos. Also, Pornhub is in some hot water. What would you recommend? Yeah, um, Pornhub featured a ton of women in a competition series and these women didn't know that they would be outed. They didn't know that their images would be available on Netflix. Um, so they were not the they did not receive in they didn't weren't they weren't able to give informed consent. Um, so that's fucked up. I believe Pornhub originally just hosted stolen porn when they started out anyway, right? I believe they um, were just an upload site. They were kind of a mixture of an upload site, and I think their shtick was that um, producers of content would send them shortened versions of the full content so that people could watch part of it, and then if they really liked some stuff, they could um, go to that website and pay for it. Mm, okay. I have a Pornhub account as a creator. I never use it. We've mentioned this before. It's worth mentioning here. Um there's a couple different formats they have now where you can choose how you want to get paid if you get paid at all. The creators, in order to make any money, have to have their shit seen by many, 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 many tens of hundreds of thousands or a million people. And every click to an ad that generates revenue to Pornhub, you see a small percentage of that. So that's only if people are, first of all, your shit's really popular. And second of all, people are clicking on the ads. Um, I, I don't even know if I've made honestly like a hundred dollars. I don't think I have. I doubt I have it. Like the, the money I've made from the one video I have on there, which isn't explicit. It's just a balloon popping video. Um, so it's not a big surprise, but still like thousands of people have seen that. And the amount of money I might've made is negligible. So how much the performer earns from that is debatable. However, if you are a big name and you have your own website or you work on other, you know, platforms it's a great advertising method if you can funnel some people to directly buy content from you you know or support like your other partnerships like if you're a big name porn star the more visibility and clicks is better for you because you might also be getting jobs from production companies that pay you for your social status for small-time creators not so much um <laughs> I have from a sex therapist here. They said, well, the most ethical is such a vague, obsolete. And if you really want ethical, make your own and only consume that. However, I'm thinking that's not what you're getting at because <laughs> you don't really ever know. You know, you really unless you talk to the creator, you don't know how much they get paid or how ethical it is. Um, avoid BitTorrent. An example of what's not ethical. Some guy says, oh, BitTorrent. And we had to explain to him what you see on BitTorrent. The performers didn't upload themselves. It's all stolen porn. So it's yeah. almost an easier question of how do we avoid the bad shit? Just avoid the bad shit as much as you can. Yeah, you can. I mean, I would just say pay for a subscription to something. Like, I mean, there are also porn of alternatives. Like, what are they? I mean, X Hamster. There are tons of like smaller sites. Um, but, you know, the the big names and i assume if you pay for it then at least you're contributing somewhat to the and if you are watching stolen stuff then at least for all the not stolen stuff people are getting money and mm -hmm. yeah because mm -hmm. otherwise you're just consuming everything for free 
Yeah. I mean, when I, when I open up Pornhub and I do this all the time, I will type something in, I will watch a video for 30 seconds. I will jack off. I will turn it, I will turn it off. Um, did I contribute to that performer? I don't know. Probably not. Honestly, I feel like I do so much to contribute to the adult industry that I actually don't really feel bad about doing that. Um, however, I'm not like uploading that content to other platforms. I'm not sharing it. Um, if I were to watch the same performer more than a couple times, honestly, I would seek them out. I just don't really have the interest. I used to be a fan, more specific fan, and I would, you know, sign up to somebody's website that way. Um, it's just not where I'm at. So also, if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of money or really any money, I can see why it's not a priority. <laughs> so Madison Young says, purchase your porn and buy it from production companies and creators whose values whose values align with yours. Um, feminist and sex positive and ethical porn creators have been around for decades, but over the last 18 years that I've been working in erotic film, the feminist porn movement has grown exponentially. It is no more a challenge to find ethical sex positive porn than it is to find food that is ethically sourced or a vegan restaurant. She says, feminist pink, feministpornawards.com forward slash feminist online porn is a great resource, as is pinklabel.tv and goodvibes.com has a feminist VOD section. Uh, all right, there's some ideas. That's interesting. I wonder if those feminist websites also cover men's, like gay porn. Interesting. Hmm, yeah. I don't know. Um. I would say if if you're unsure of what's ethical and you want to do the least amount of harm, please do not. Please do not go to BitTorrent. <laughs> um, yeah. At the very least. Yeah. Um, that's that's yeah. probably a safe bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's getting really hard to talk about sex, though, just in general. All right. We'll go to the next question. Maybe y'all did a podcast on this already that I'm not aware of, or maybe this is a newish topic. I'm wondering about the seemingly common occurrence of people with vaginas experiencing extreme and somewhat prolonged clenching or tightening of the vaginal walls post-orgasm. So there's still a lot that we don't know about the human body and uh, the female reproductive system or pleasure systems in our bodies. Um, they call this dysorgasmia. There can be so many reasons for it. That can just mean pain during or after orgasm. Um, the most common one could be, could be that your cervix is getting bumped and your cervix doesn't really like getting bumped a whole lot. So it can, it can, um, contract afterwards. Yeah. Um, that's why, you know, if something hurts, your body is telling you to stop. Um, let's see, what else could it be? Uh, <laughs> some people say that you might have cramping, uh, because of blood flow, like oxygen, not getting enough to the area. So if you're not doing deep breathing, uh, try to do more cyclical breathing and see if that helps. I don't know a lot about endometriosis or uterine fibroids, but apparently that's a common reason why people have cramps after penis and vagina sex. Um, they're non-cancerous tumors, but they can cause pain and heavy bleeding, 
you can have them surgically removed, but it's something that you'll have to go to a gyno, talk to them about, and then see if that's the case. If there is any kind of infection, uh, pelvic inflammatory disease uh, can be a development of untreated chlamydia or gonorrhea. Um, Apparently, any bacterial infection can give you PID, but most commonly what happens when you have chlamydia that's untreated over time, it can spread and become pelvic inflammatory disease. Um, You can take an antibiotic if it's not too late. Endometriosis, yeah, I don't know a whole lot about that, but if you have commonly very, very, very painful periods, um, you should get checked out for that. And lastly, um, there's a suggestion that some medications can make you more likely to experience pain after sex. So antidepressants such as Prozac, Effexor, um, others, and some antipsychotics. I, I don't experience this actually, but I also have orgasms all the fucking time. Again, not bragging, but since I was seven, I've been able to, at least seven, been able to get myself off in like 30 seconds to a minute on most days. So maybe I've just, <laughs> my, my uterus is, has been clenching all my life. <laughs> uh, John, can you read the next question? Someone asked, shouldn't consent be a two-way street? A lady at the club sat on my lap while I was waiting for another dancer and immediately started jerking my dick through my shorts. I froze and didn't know what to say or how to react. Huh. Yeah, consent should be a two-way street. I hate when dancers do stuff like that. It just sucks when uh, some environments are very, very competitive and that's how dancers, really strippers, sex workers can get noticed. It's like, I know 20 other girls just walked by and said, hey, how you doing? But I'm going to come up and touch your dick. And often that works, you know, no judgment. Yeah. It does. Um. I don't, that's not how it goes in my venue. We're, we're really specifically not supposed to touch our customers' genitals in my club where I work currently, but other places it's NBD or par for the course. So um, yes, ideally consent would be a two-way street. I'm so sorry that happened to you, sir. Um, and now maybe you kind of understand. It's not just fight or flight. People have reactions, but also freeze, especially people who are being, you know, I don't want to say sexually assaulted, but if it feels like sexual assault or just confusion, freeze is a common one. So when people are like, well, why didn't you say no? It's like, I didn't know what to say. Yeah. 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 I don't know. How would you feel, John, if you were visiting me at work and someone came up and started jacking you? <laughs> well, that would be alarming. I already felt like uncomfortable at um, at this one club in Portland, um, a gay club where I would sit down at the rack and immediately like someone would like start grinding on me. Like that was mm. already too much for me, but it isn't, it is a competitive environment. And if you do sit at the rack, then they expect you to tip. And sadly, because it's an environment where tips are far and few between <laughs> because mm -hmm. the huge crowd of onlookers doesn't give a shit. Um, mm -hmm. Sitting down is like at a signal of like, I don't know, almost like a social like agreement to like, yes, you mm -hmm. can grind on me, even if the person doesn't know or isn't expecting. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, for this guy, I get the the sensation or I get the feeling that he was not even at the stage. He said he was waiting for another dancer, so probably at a table or a bar or something. 
Um, but yeah, no, totally. I agree with you that once you sit at the stage, it is like an agreement to engage. And that's why a lot of people are afraid of sitting at the stage because they're like, are they going to touch me? Are they going to get in my face? Like what's going to happen? And I think part of that fear comes from obviously like not wanting to be touched without your consent. Um, it's really hard. You can't have like a negotiation about what you're going to do in the like five seconds in a loud club that someone sits at your stage. <laughs> so I feel like I put some space and distance until I can tell there's more interest and then I move closer and more slowly. I definitely used to be more hands-on with people um, in previous years, but now I will ask like, hi, can I put like, can I put this over your head or can I touch your nose or I'll just move really slowly so they have the opportunity to like lean into it or lean back. And then I'm like, okay, not for you. Or Hey, yeah. Yeah. Everything. Life is a gray area. <laughs> There's no <laughs> such thing as black and white. Honestly. Uh, let's take another break. Hey friends. Are you sick of razor burn? Have your nethers cleaned up by the pros at Netherlands Wax in Vancouver, Washington, where experienced owner estheticians have performed literally thousands of Brazilian waxes. Netherlands Wax is gender neutral, sex positive, trans and queer welcoming, kink positive, and body positive. We are just over the 205 bridge in Vancouver, Washington. Worth the drive. Find us on Facebook, Yelp, or netherlandswax.com. Yeah, Instagram started censoring the eggplant emoji like last year. Like, because too many people mm, I know. were using it to post dick pics. I was so sad about that. I know. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. Uh, John and I are talking about some bullshit on Facebook and Instagram. Yes. Um, out, Out.com by Mikkel Street wrote this article October 23rd of this year. <laughs> so this did start um, happening in July when the community standards changed over the summer again on Instagram and Facebook. Of course, we know that Facebook and Instagram are the same and they're both owned by Zuckerberg now. Um, but some updates weren't reflected until September. And then, of course, media and everyone didn't really get talking about this until the next month. So in the middle of October, a ton of people got kicked off. I know like Cat Attack Photo, um, Devin DeVille, this local stripper model, a ton of people got kicked off. Really fucking sad. Uh, so according to the new rules, eggplant or peach emojis cannot be used with sexual statements about being horny. <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah, unfortunate. This part is old, like you said. Um, it says, in addition, users cannot post photos that use emojis to censor nudity. So this is why a lot of people are getting deleted. They're like, I don't understand. I covered my nudity. It's like, well, you're not even allowed to use emojis. You can't Even the emojis. implication of a butt or a dick. <laughs> like. Oh my God. or something else like ugh, and it no. says you cannot yep you cannot refer followers to pages where porn is viewable that means that linking to an only fans or just for fans or patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows is grounds for removal you can do a porn hub yeah i know but Pornhub has a page and browsers has a page and you know, there's like 8 million followers on a professional porn account page. Yeah. But what? Um, so, yeah, none of this is new. It's all been since FOSTA and SESTA. Um, but 
the net is tightening, I suppose. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah, we're not fucking around people. Like I keep telling, especially most of the people I work with are, are women um, as far as sex workers. So when I say girls, it's jargon for most of the sex workers I deal with. But I keep telling girls, stop linking to your porn in your bio link. That is enough. That is enough. Like if yeah. you choose to take that risk, you will get deactivated. But I am not going to ask people to report your account as deleted accidentally when you are now knowingly like going against the rules and you have been for a while. Like I will advocate for people who are deleted when they are following the rules and it's like obvious discrimination when, yeah. you know, like when they aren't linking to adult shit, there's no nudity, but it happens a lot more to um, people of color and fat and trans sex educators quite often. Yeah. Um, whereas like a white, blonde, skinny, big boobed porn star can have basically her asshole showing on Instagram, but it's okay because it's a production company with so many million followers that is probably streaming revenue to Instagram. Yeah. I bet. So yeah, you know, come on everybody. Like it's time to get with it. You can't link to your porn anymore. And unfortunately now we can't even cover our own bodies with eggplant or peach emojis. Um, but the linking thing's been, it's been a thing for like a year and a half. So yeah, hopefully everyone's caught up on that. It's unfortunate too, because like I remember years ago when there was that like trend of, uh, of dudes who would post like full body mirror pics, um, with like an eggplant emoji over their dicks. And I was like, Oh, that's, this should continue on Instagram. This is a tradition that we cannot lose. Um, but yeah, no, it looks like it's gone. <laughs> mm hmm. You and I met because of Instagram, yeah. like because of talking about sex and atheism on Instagram, yeah. you know, back when my, my page had a, a different stream of, uh, of content and yeah. <laughs> it sure did. Remember, um, that photo we talked about, it was just like your torso, your waist and your boxers that were like halfway down your leg. And there was, I mean, you had like maybe a belly button and like a knee showing, but that was deleted. Oh yeah, no, my I had a personal account that got deleted for for nudity, and all I did was post a pic of me in my underwear in my hammock in the summer, where it was like everyone was posting like swimsuit pics anyway, and it was basically mm -hmm. like it looked like a swimsuit type of underwear. It was like boxers, and it got mm -hmm. yeah deleted, and the account mm -hmm. got banned, and I had to make a new rest, personal. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's do a quick mention of some good news right after all this bad news. Um, a couple of proud boys, so white nationalist, uh, neo-fascists on the East Coast got sent to prison for four years for um, beating up people um, in Manhattan last year. Um, so they were sentenced by state Supreme Court Judge Mark Dwyer who said that the hefty sentence was in part, well, four years is arguably not a hefty sentence when you consider how long some abused women are put in prison for firing a warning shot at the ceiling while their husband's trying to get in the house or something. Anyway, four years, the hefty sentence was given to discourage extremists from rallying in New York in the future. And this Judge Dwyer says, quote, I know enough about history to know what happened in Europe in the 30s when political street brawls were allowed to go ahead without any type of check from the criminal justice system. We don't want that to happen in New York, and especially at a time in this country when people are so divided. So... Yeah, call it what it is. If it's a hate crime, if people are being targeted to be beat up based on their race or gender presentation or orientation um, or religion, uh, it is a hate crime. 
So that is different than just like a mutual combat situation. And I would definitely encourage more law enforcement to, you know, put some neo-Nazis in jail or prison. That would be tight. <laughs> uh, surveillance and bystander videos showed multiple, showed multiple Proud Boys brutalizing pro- protesters and passerby. In one video, a Proud Boys overheard bragging about kicking a foreigner in the head. No. Ten men in connection were arrested. Two of those men took plea de- deals and were given community service. One case is pending, and others who pleaded guilty have received sentences between 40 weekends and three months in prison. The Proud Boys have been tied to violent clashes elsewhere in the U.S., including Portland, Oregon. They describe their members as, a, as quote, Western chauvinists, is how they describe themselves, and they have been classified as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, yeah. And then the disclosure at the end of this article says the Proud Boys organization was founded by Gavin McGinnis, a co-founder of Vice Media. McGinnis left Vice in 2008 and is not involved in the company since. So isn't that funny? Little thing a lot of people don't know about Vice. Yeah. Vice's founders were, or at least one of them was problematic. Yeah. We are all problematic in some way. Um, last one I would like to end on, I get this question sometimes and I used to wonder this and I would speculate and it turns out my speculation was correct and I was delighted because I'm a narcissist and I love when I'm right. There's an article, STDs are sexist and women are the losers. Here's why. It was on CNN by Sandy Lamott, October 24th. Uh, It says that America is in the middle of an epidemic of STIs and when it comes to heterosexual transmission, it's hitting women the hardest. Um, There's a quote from Dr. Hunter Hansfield, who studied STDs for 40 years. Um, So at any exposure, a susceptible woman is more likely to catch it from than a susceptible man because the lining of the vagina is thinner and more delicate than the skin on a penis. So it's easier for bacteria and viruses to penetrate and take hold. Once there, the moist environment of the vagina is perfect for growth. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Another reason STDs, STIs are sexist, symptoms are often nonspecific in women and can be mistakenly written off as a typical female annoyance. So for the example, if a woman has a little burning during urination, maybe someone will think it was too much time on the exercise cycle. Maybe her underwear is too tight. Maybe she had spicy foods for dinner. Maybe there's a little discharge, a little itch, Hansfield says. It's easy for a woman to think it's a yeast infection and self-treat while chlamydia is actually climbing up her fallopian tubes. But if there's any discharge coming out of a man's dick, you can guarantee he's going to get treated. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So I always wondered why. There you go. That's why. Um, so if a guy is like, oh, we don't need to use a condom, be like, mm, maybe you don't think you need to use a condom, but I'm more susceptible, motherfucker. Also, knowing now that, pe- you know, vagina skin is more delicate than penile skin, so is anus skin, which is why anal sex is more risky. Yeah. Got a lube. More- mm-hmm. Lube. All the lube. All right. All the lube. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for talking to me, John. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this will likely, this is going to be our last season of Strange Bedfellows. So collective sadness um, from everyone. So please stick with us for the rest of the season. Um, we're going to do another 40 episodes like we did in the first with Jen. Um, 
Jen says hi, by the way. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, until then, rate and review us on your favorite listening app so that the most people possible can hear our lovely voices. Until next time. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. To find behind-the-scenes, photos, bonus clips, and journals from your guests and hosts, type www.patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash strange bedfellows and join for only $1. Find us online at strangebedfellowspdx.com and Instagram at strangebedfellowspdx. You can find me, L. Stanger, on stripperwriter.com and Instagram as L. Stanger. Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to pillow talk at strangebedfellowspdx.com and find me, John, on Instagram at metric.cafe. Please rate and review our show on your favorite listening app. Thanks for supporting sex education and freedom of expression.